0: Thank you for listening to the Notable Speeches podcast. We appreciate it. This time a speech from the floor of the United States Senate decrying the rage and tribalism present in today's American political discourse, much of it driven by postings on the social media platform Twitter. The speaker is Senator Ben Sasse, Republican from Nebraska. Mr. Sasse's strongly worded remarks came during debate on whether to bypass Senate rules to clear the way for passage of a bill that would expand federal authority over state-based election laws. All 50 Senate Republicans opposed changing the filibuster rules, along with two Democrats, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Senator Kirsten Sinema of Arizona. In his floor speech, Senator Sass castigated President Joe Biden for declaring in a January 11th speech in Georgia that those blocking the election-related bill are aligned with historical figures George Wallace, Bull Connor, and Jefferson Davis. Mr. Sass said the President's remarks violated the Bible's Ninth Commandment against bearing false witness. We should note for context that Senator Ben Sass is also a persistent critic of former President Donald Trump. Here is some background on the three historical figures President Joe Biden mentioned in his speech. George Wallace, a Democrat, served four terms as governor of Alabama. He began his political career as a staunch racial segregationist, but later, after embracing Christianity, renounced his earlier stance. Bull Connor served as commissioner of public safety in Birmingham, Alabama, in the late 1950s and early 60s, and was known for harsh enforcement of racial segregation codes in that city. Jefferson Davis was a Democratic U.S. senator, secretary of war, and military hero from Mississippi who went on to serve as president of the Confederate States of America after Mississippi seceded from the Union in 1861. You'll hear Senator Sass mention President Biden's reference to Wallace, Connor, and Davis. The senator from Nebraska also mentions several of his fellow senators by name, including Senate Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer. And you'll hear Senator Sass reference White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, along with former Senate leader Harry Reid, who in 2013 set the precedent for bypassing Senate filibuster rules. Senator Ben Sass holds a bachelor's degree in government from Harvard University, as well as master's and doctoral degrees in American history from Yale. Before being elected to the Senate in 2014, he served as the president of Midland University in Fremont, Nebraska. Here is U.S. Senator Ben Sass on January 13th, 2022, speaking on the Senate floor.
1: Mr. President. The Senator from Nebraska. Mr. President, I rise today to defend the filibuster again uh, from the latest round of attacks. I did this repeatedly in the last uh, administration earning the uh, ire and frustration of a president of my own party over and over again as I defended the Senate's purpose and the supermajority requirements that forge a consensus in a big, broad, uh, diverse continental nation. Today, I rise to defend the filibuster again when it's a president of the other party who's decided to go full demagogue. For his entire career in the Senate, basically, Joe Biden served in this body as long as I've been alive, plus or minus a few years. Joe Biden was a stalwart defender of the filibuster. He said that weakening the filibuster would, quote, eviscerate the Senate. But earlier this week, the president was pushed around by a bunch of rage-addicted 20-somethings on his staff and agreed to go down to Georgia and just read whatever nonsense they loaded into his teleprompter. It was shameful. It was sad. The president of the United States called half of the country a bunch of racist bigots. Think about that. Half the country, a bunch of racist bigots. He doesn't believe that. This was a senile comment of a man who read whatever was loaded into his teleprompter. His speechwriters puppet-mastered him into saying that anyone who disagrees with him is George Wallace, Walt Connor, Jefferson Davis. You disagree with Joe Biden, and you're Jefferson Davis. It's pretty breathtaking. Equating millions of Americans to some of the ugliest racists in all of American history, that isn't just overheated rhetoric, it's a disgusting smear. Does President Biden really believe this in his heart of hearts? Based on the conversations I've had with him over the years, I don't think he believes this at all. So let's go back to last year. Candidate Joe Biden ran for office promising that he would unify the country. That's why the man was elected because he said that the crap we went through the last four years was wrong. He said he was gonna to try to unify the country, but now he's decided to surrender to a tiny little far-left group in the mistaken belief that the loudest voices on Twitter actually represent America. It'd be useful for us to pause and recognize the overwhelming majority of all political tweets in America come from less than 1.5% of Americans. Let's just say that again. Because there are a bunch of morons around this building who've decided to take their Twitter feed as reality. It is not reality. What the president said in Georgia was nonsense, and Joe Biden of decades in the U.S. Senate knows that. The president will be coming to Capitol Hill in the next hour. If President Biden really believes that Jim Crow is the same thing as a lot of states, Who've decided to reconsider some of their COVID expansion policies around voting, Jim Crow and redeliberating about COVID expansions are the same thing, he needs to make that argument in person. If Joe Manchin is really as big a racist as Joe Biden apparently thinks, if Kirsten Cinema is really a racist, that's what animates Kirsten Cinema in the eyes of Joe Biden he should have the courage to say that to their faces. He's not going to say that to their faces because he doesn't believe it. Ron Klein has an army of Twitter trolls that he's decided are reality and he's decided to have President Biden become something completely different than the person who ran for office last year or who served for decades in the United States Senate. In fact, if Joe Biden really believes that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are bigots, why has he not called for them to be kicked out of his party? If they are as racist as Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis, why does Joe Biden want them in his party? The stuff he said in Georgia is nonsense, and you wouldn't say it to regular Americans in New Jersey or West Virginia or Arizona or Nebraska because it's not true. In fact, if Joe Biden really believes that Lisa Murkowski is George Wallace, if Tim Scott is Bull Connor, if Susan Collins and I are Jefferson Davis, I hope he'd have the guts to come and say it to our faces, but he's not, because this is performative politics, it was nonsense, and everybody knows that it goes away after this weekend, but Chuck Schumer might have a primary from AOC, so it's really useful to shift the blame for his disastrous leadership of the Senate over the last 13 months from himself to Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. That's really what's happening right now. President Biden ought to have the courage to stand up to his own staff, and he ought to be enough of a man to apologize to the Senate and to the American people for the nonsense he said in Georgia. The vast majority of what he said violating the Ninth Commandment, disparaging people, was not what he really believes, and he wouldn't say it to me face to face. This fiasco is ugly, and it was entirely unnecessary. It makes no sense to federalize our elections right now. By the way, you can differ with me about that. You can believe that federalizing all elections is a good idea. It is in our constitutional system. Um, But to demonize people as racist bigots because they're not in favor of federalizing the elections, that's a pretty bizarre leap. But let's just review a little bit of history. Last year, we had a president who disgraced his office by trying to steal an election. What stopped that? Our decentralized state-based systems of elections are what stopped last year's attempt to steal an election. It makes absolutely no sense to try to go into nuclear partisanship now when we should actually be talking about how you prevent another January 6th by doing the hard and actual bipartisan work. Not the grandstanding for Twitter, but the hard and bipartisan work of reforming the Electoral Count Act, which is 130 years old and obviously doesn't work that well. We should reform the Electoral Reform Act. This is about subversion of an election, not suppression. There are real problems in our electoral system, and we could be doing work to actually fix that and try to stop the institutional arsonists in Congress who want to build political brands on the wreckage of American institutions. We could do real work. The president decided to do something completely different this week. But here's the silver lining. President Biden, Leader Schumer, and everybody in this body knows that the charade we've been going through for the last three days, it's great for the one and a half percent of people addicted to rage on Twitter. I get it. One and a half percent of people get their jollies out of this. It's bad for America. It's just as undermining of public trust in elections as what Donald Trump did last year. But here's the thing. Everybody going through the charade knows that it dies this weekend. Why? Why? because members of the Democrats' own conference know that there is no exception to the way the Senate rules work. Every single senator knows that the filibuster is not gonna die this weekend, and every senator knows that if it would, the nonsense rhetoric about one exception, it's like lose your virginity just once, Um, every senator knows that that's not really how it works. Once the filibuster goes for X, it goes for Y, and it goes for Z. Today it's election centralization, tomorrow it's gun politics, the next day it's climate debates. Every red-hot issue in American culture and American politics would be in the same exception because every issue would be just as urgent next week, next month, and next year. Fortunately, Senator Manchin knows this, Senator Sinema knows this, and by the way, a whole bunch more colleagues of mine in the Democratic Party also know this. They just don't have as much courage to say it in public as those two. A whole bunch of my colleagues, I I tried to count this morning, it's between 15 and 18 of my colleagues in the Democratic Party have privately told me they regret following Harry Reid over the tribalist cleft in the summer of 2013 for just the one exception of judicial confirmations to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. I think 15 to 18 Democrats have privately told me they regret this. Why? Because that one-time exception is now how the entire executive calendar works. And everybody knew when Harry Reid set this place on fire in 2013 that that's what it was going to produce. And the same exact thing would happen on the legislative calendar with the supposed one-time carve-out from the legislative filibuster. Let's remember what this institution is for. What the Senate is supposed to be about is we're supposed to be the one part of Congress and the one part of the American government that thinks beyond a 24-month window. It is the job of the people who serve in this body, only 100 people right now, and only I think it's 2,100 people across 230-some years of US history. Only 2,000 people have had the honor of serving our states in this body. It's supposed to be our job to take the long-term view. Not just 24 hours of Twitter, but we're supposed to think beyond the 24 months of the next election. That's what our job is supposed to be. There are a lot of people around this place who apparently can't think beyond 24 hours right now. That's their right, but they shouldn't be senators. Because the purpose of this place is supposed to be to take a long-term view. Some of my colleagues are convinced that Americans are polarized because Congress doesn't act more or faster, and they think that the solution is supposedly to eliminate the filibuster. They're kidding themselves that would not extinguish the fires of red-hot tribalism in this country. It would throw gasoline on them. Addressing the real tribal disease in America requires a Senate that becomes less tribal, not more tribal. Getting rid of the filibuster means this. It means that you turn one razor-thin majority, imposing its will on the American people and on legislation, into a pendulum swinging another razor-thin majority 24 months later that sweeps all of that aside and jerks the American people around to the opposite legislation of what was just passed, 50-50, 51-50 in today's Senate. And all of it flips 11 months from now and the, and the legislation all gets undone and new legislation gets put in place. Do you really think regular folks in New Jersey and Nebraska want that? Hardly any of them want that. Imagine what the current situation would look like if you have that federally imposed whiplash on our most sensitive issues inside every 24 months. We think tribalism is bad now. I guarantee you, you can make it worse. And eliminating the filibuster accelerates that descent into tribalism. There's a place, of course, where simple majorities rule. It's right down that hallway. We have a House of Representatives already. Does anybody want to make the argument that that place is healthier than we are because it's a simple majoritarian body? No. It's plain to see in an age of hyperpartisanship and social media grandstanding that the House is being more and more ruled by demagogues and dolts. That's not what the Senate is called to do. The Senate is supposed to be a different place. The Senate is supposed to be the place where passions are tempered and refined by people who are responsible for thinking beyond our next election, which is why every election cycle in America only has one third of senators even up for reelection. That's the whole reason we have six year terms. If I had my will, I could be king for a day and write some constitutional amendments and pass them. I'd have a single 12 year Senate term and everybody'd be out of here. A little bit longer than six years, but one term, no re-election, and get back to life, uh, go back to serving in your community. If you get rid of the, uh, the filibuster, you will turn the Senate into the House, and you will sure that this body, too, ends up consumed by demagogues, conspiracists, and clowns. That's what will happen in this body. The American people don't have time for that crap. Nobody wants that. Americans don't want one-party rule, by the Democrats or by the Republicans, Both of these parties are really crappy. The American people are not fans of these political parties. Getting rid of the filibuster means you don't have to try to talk to people on the other side of the aisle and get to a 60-vote threshold for legislation or a 67-vote threshold uh, for rules changes. It means that one of these two terrible parties gets to do a lot more stuff a lot faster that will inevitably be incredibly unpopular with the American people. American people do not want revolution. They do not want fundamental change. What they want is competence. What they want is more honesty. What they want is less performative grandstanding. Institutions like the Senate provide frameworks and processes for competent, responsible self-government, for more honesty. We're not living up to it right now, but we could live down to something worse, and ending the filibuster would accelerate that. It would accelerate tribalism it would accelerate people following senators into bathrooms screaming at them trying to bully them it will not lead to more productive compromise legislation that tries to bring along a larger share of the american public the rules and the norms of this place have been built up over a very long time and they exist to discourage demagoguery putting cameras in every room we're in around here tries to undermine so much of what the Senate is about. I'm for lots of transparency. I'm for pen and pad reporters everywhere. But the cameras we've put in this place have encouraged so much demagoguery. That's so much of the problem of why we have so much tribalism here and tribalism more broadly in the country. And if you eliminate the filibuster, you accelerate all those most destructive short-term performative trends. You encourage more rank partisanship and you discourage consensus, compromise, and collaboration. Friends, please do not, like the president did in Georgia this week, surrender to the angriest voices on social media in the mistaken belief that they reflect the majority of America. They don't. They reflect the majority of Twitter. Political Twitter is like the ninth most popular topic on Twitter. K-pop music is exponentially more popular on Twitter than politics. The the share of Americans paying attention to political Twitter bounces around between one-tenth and one-sixth, and something like 80% of all political tweets come from under 2% of the public. We should remind ourselves of that again and again and again, because there are people here who regularly mistake Twitter with reality and with the American public. We're called to serve the American public. We're not called to serve rage-addicted people on social media. Now. Perhaps more than ever, it is our job to stop giving ear to political arsonists who would burn down our institutions and intensify our divisions. Now is the time for us to think together, over the long term, how we renew those institutions. The filibuster is a part of what can lead us to broader consensus, and eliminating the filibuster will accelerate the political arson around this place and across our land. Senate we can do better. Thank you, Mr. President.
0: U.S. Senator Ben Sass, the junior senator from Nebraska, giving a Senate floor address in mid-January. Your comments about the Notable Speeches podcast are always welcome. Email feedback at notablespeeches.com. I'm Joseph Slife. Thanks again for listening.